So what we need to do is to really figure, figure out what are the best experiences, whether it's a shopping experience or a learning experience that we can create by blending all the channels, by giving people the freedom of choice. And that will make for better marketing and also better learning. Welcome to Virtually Live by Kaltura. Every week, we'll get into the latest and greatest in marketing, and specifically event marketing, audience engagement, and brand experience. To guide us through that, we've invited event professionals and marketing leaders from various industries. In this week's episode, Kaltura's Director of Strategic Partnerships, Ruti Eisenberg, speaks with Associate Dean for Digital Innovation, Kellogg School of Management, Mohan Birsani, about creating the best mix of virtual and in-person, synchronous and asynchronous, live and on-demand events for maximum audience engagement. Let's go. Hi, everyone. My name is Ruthie Eisenberg, and I'm coming to you virtually live from Chicago. There's been so much talk in recent years about which is better, online or in person. Some say online interactions could never come close to the level of intimacy of in-person ones, while others think that nothing beats the accessibility and straightforwardness of the online world. With me today is Professor Mohan Birsani from the Kellogg School of Management to tell us why we're all wrong, but also right. In other words, there isn't just online or just in-person anymore. The future is multi-channel. Hi, Mohan. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, hello, everybody. I'm coming virtually live from my office in Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management. Uh, delighted to be with you today. Thank you for being with us. So before we dive in, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role? Uh, sure. I've uh, been at the Kellogg School for almost 30 years now, and uh, I am uh, currently the Associate Dean for Digital Innovation, where I'm charged with our digital innovation efforts initiatives. Uh, I also hold a chair in technology at, and run a research center in technology and innovation at Kellogg. Uh, I teach courses in product management and uh, uh, digital marketing and uh, innovation. Also, I've done a lot of online and hybrid executive education courses. Uh, so I've learned a lot about uh, what works and what doesn't in, in this space. So that's my background. Oh, we're very excited to hear more. So thank you for being with us. So let's start with education. Education is one of the areas in our lives that were most affected by COVID-19. However, it's been evolving and transforming even before then with the shift to more project-based, short-form, experience-centric approaches. What are some of the landscape shifts in learning modalities that you're seeing today? Well, Ruthie, the uh, landscape uh, really shifted under our feet, right, with the, with the pandemic, and uh, we were literally shut down overnight. And most educational institutions, all educational institutions, had to figure out how to continue to operate uh, where in-person education suddenly was not a possibility. But this happened all the way from kindergarten up to you know, graduate school and executive education. So there were what we call, I call a pandemic enforced modality, and that was live streaming, right? So we basically were forced to all do virtual live streaming. Now, um, as things evolved and as we sort of ventured slowly back into the classroom, we still had social distancing requirements, we had capacity restrictions in classrooms. 
so we had we were then went to the hybrid modality and the hybrid modality meant actually having two audiences at the same time where you're doing a live uh, in-person session but you also have a virtual audience which you call the roomies and the zoomies um, but now as we life hopefully goes back to a new normal uh, we are back in person in the classroom but we realize the richness of the ability to actually combine what I call digital by choice as opposed to digital by force that we are forced to do in the pandemic. So we are exploring lots of combinations, not only of online versus in-person, but the other dimension is synchronous versus asynchronous contents. So we're blending all of these modalities now uh, to create really some interesting, innovative new experiences for learning. I'm very interested to, to learn more and um, I love the roomies and the zoomies. So there were obviously online classes pre-pandemic, uh, but not anywhere close to the volumes that we see now. Do you think, you know, as you adapt, adapt and evolve, uh, we'll see the online modality start to wind down? I want to sort of first draw an important distinction uh, between sort of modalities and learning experiences. I think we've fixated too much on the modality. Is it online or is it in person? Uh, the sort of the new model is to really sort of think about what kind of experience do you want to create? Uh, and then what is the modality that is best equipped uh, to deliver on that experience? So what I see happening in the future now is these sort of innovative omni-channel learning experiences where we don't start with this idea of is it an online program or is it an in-person program? Well, we start to think about what is the learning experience we want to create and then work backwards to figure out what modalities or combination of modalities best gets there. So that's why, you know, Ruthie, you started out with a very provocative statement saying we are all wrong or we may be right. Uh, you know, the idea there is that is online here to stay? Is in-person here to stay? Yes. The answer is but both, but they don't necessarily need to be in these compartmentalized and isolated worlds, we can bring them together. I'll give you a very simple example. So I teach an MBA class on product management, which you did. And in that product management class, I, I have a simulation game. And that simulation game, uh, even in the in-person setting, is best done virtually because you need to do regular daily updates of how the teams are doing. You need to do debriefing calls. So even when I'm doing an in-person class, I use live streaming and virtual sessions for that component. Similarly, when I'm teaching a class on campus, I realize the value of being able to bring in guest speakers for five minutes. Sort of what I call these as guest cameos. So imagine that I'm discussing a case study and I'm like, oh, by the way, the CEO happens to be here and can pop in for five minutes. Now, in the old days, I would have the CEO travel all the way you know, to Chicago and spend a whole day and take 90 minutes. And it was just, you know, very time consuming. And therefore it would be difficult to secure that kind of cooperation. I once, Ruthie, did a class, that executive class for 90 minutes where I had three guest speakers from three continents join us for five minutes each. And that kind of experience we didn't even visualize or conceptualize uh, in the pre-pandemic days. So what we are doing now is enriching the in-person classes with online and we're also enriching the on classes, uh, online courses with in-person interactions, uh, such as a program that I've created for product leaders called the Chief Product Officer Program. So that's a program that starts with asynchronous content. 
It is layered on top of that are live sessions. On top of that, they have community and group interactions. But then they come in for in-person electives. And finally, at the end, there's a three-day networking event that takes place on campus where they all meet for graduation. So is that an online program? Yes. Is it an in-person program? Yes. Is it a synchronous program? Yes. Is it an asynchronous program? Yes. So I think talking about online, in-person, synchronous, asynchronous misses the point that really you want to work backwards from what is best done in an in-person setting, what is best done in a in an online setting, and then bring that together to create the best experience. I love it. Bringing together best of all worlds. Um, right. And it, in, in your experience, what are you hearing from students and teachers uh, and and you know, how they're navigating this mix of in-person and online courses. So what's working and what's not working today? Yeah, so I think that uh, one of the things that these online courses, and by the way, online means a combination of live and asynchronous that, that we offer, what that has done has eliminated travel, right? So it makes executive education much more affordable, much more accessible, and much more convenient. So, uh, so to, to, to give you an example, the eight or so online courses that I've created, which combine live and asynchronous instruction, have reached over 16,000 participants in the three and a half years. The entire alumni base of Kellogg, the Kellogg School is 65,000. This is one fourth. <laughs> so my alums of my courses in three years equal one fourth of the total number of people who've gone to Kellogg over the last 100 years, right? So that's the level of scale and reach and convenience. And, and, and when I do my live sessions in those courses, I usually ask people, where are you coming in from? Like I said today, virtually live, I'm coming from Evanston. I have people from Gaza, from Myanmar, from Sierra Leone, from places that, you know, there was no way they could have traveled to come here. Um, so that is one thing that we are finding is that our access and affordability and convenience has gone through the roof. Even in our degree programs, consider our part-time and evening and weekend MBA program. There we find people love this idea that they can now take a class virtually or they can come in because it gives them the convenience of they can travel one week, they're in person. Another week, if they can't travel, they take the class virtually. So we allow them to make that choice. And this is an idea, if you look at retail, this is an idea that's been around for a while, right? You call it omnichannel retail. Uh, you know, let's say you want to buy a car, Ruthie. What you're going to do is you're going to go on a website, you're going to do some research, then you might call a salesperson, you might go into the showroom for a test drive, then you might complete the transaction online. Is it an online purchase? Is it an in-person purchase? It's all of the above. So we as educational institutions need to give what I would call the freedom of modality choice to our learners so that they have the option on how they want that experience to happen. So that's another thing that I'm finding is that we are no longer going to force people to attend in one way or the other. So may, imagine an ex educational experience that was location agnostic, where you know you could take it at any in, in geographical location or come into campus or do it virtually. Literally class by class, session by session, you make the choice. So that's a level of flexibility that you know was not possible before. Options are, are endless and the enrichment is limitless really. Um, yeah. 
So we've talked a little bit about, about uh, education. Um, in your role as Associate Dean for Digital Innovation, you're also responsible for alumni relations, continued engagement. And so while you're a scholar and an educator, you're also a marketer of, of Kellogg and many of these programs. In that capacity, how would you th- say things are evolving? So um, I felt for a long time that um, we are providing business school education like enterprise software used to be sold 20 years ago. So if you think about the analogy here, Ruthie, in, in the enterprise software world, you sold enterprise software as a license one time and it was a perpetual license, then you were done. And then you maybe paid a maintenance agreement or, or, and so on. Well, from there, we moved to SaaS, software as a service, where you subscribe on an ongoing basis and you get continually upgraded from, from features and functionality, right? So we've seen a big shift there. So what if learning instead of being one shot, two year, 200,000 deal became continuous for a lifetime. So I'm trying to adapt the ideas of SaaS to learning, right? Imagine LAS, learning as a service. So the notion here is that after our alums like you, you know, graduate, what then? You need to, on an ongoing basis, you need to be up, you know, it's kind of like software upgrades, right? We gave you Kellogg 2019 or Kellogg 2015. Now, but at, in 2022, we are advanced. We have got new thinking and you're slowly becoming obsolete. So what if you were able to continually stay in touch? What if you were able to be continually upgrade your, your business school ex- education? This is kind of like Tesla doing OTAs, right? Over the air updates. <laughs> so imagine that you're becoming smarter over time. So the vision that I'm working towards is lifelong engagement with our alumni. Not just, by the way, it's not just about learning. You also want to network. You want mentorships. You want career advice. You want to be able to just touch base with the people who have similar interests or with the similar cohorts. So imagine a community-centric platform that also had content where you could network, get mentorship, get advice. And yes, an overlay on top of that would be live events. Hopefully that will be running with Cultura's platform so that you have an ongoing uh, engagement. Then we could potentially create subscription revenues uh, as an annuity uh, for the school. And everybody's happy. Alumni feel that they are engaged on an ongoing basis. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the school gets a new revenue stream and, and actually builds deeper relationships with its constituents. Super interesting. I love the idea of upgrading. I feel like I'm getting an upgrade right now as we speak. Um, so you talk a lot about community building through programmatic engagement. And um, you've spoken before about, you know, the reuse of content uh, and how you, you know, how you take content previously used and then reuse that. Um, could you speak to that a little bit as well? Yeah, so I think that um, this is another aspect of, of, the, of learning that, that, that I feel is, is going to grow. And that is the concept of blended learning, right? Or what we call the flipped classroom. So the idea there is that when I meet you live or I meet you in per- live virtually or I meet you in person, we should spend that time focused on discussion and collaboration and action learning. You know, I shouldn't be teaching you supply and demand curves 
you know, or the fundamentals of capital asset pricing or marketing 101 basic principles in a lecture. So what if I created asynchronous content where the lecture oriented or more of sort of the concept oriented stuff was actually done as a series of short videos. And then when you came to the classroom, we did case studies, we did you know, discussions. So it's a, you know, so this is again, there are certain things that are best done asynchronously. And by the way, those asyn that asynchronous content can be reused, right? Uh, but then you complement that with live education where you know you have discussions and so on. So that allowed you to create a richer experience because that, by the way, if I'm teaching you capital asset pricing and you're a little bit slow uh, in finance concepts, you might see the video three times. You might slow it down, you might stop it and pause it. You can do all that. But in a classroom, it's gone, right? It's one shot. So that's the other benefit of asynchronous content. It can be self-paced, it can be on demand, it can be reused um, and, uh, and also some of the more sort of framework oriented material can be covered very profitably that way. But then you complement that with in-person discussion. So I'm actually launching a new uh, executive uh, MBA course where I will have this blend. It'll be a 60-40 blend where they will do asynchronous modules where I've recorded videos and they do exercises uh, for six sessions and four sessions will be live. And in those live sessions, we're not going to do lectures. A live session, I'm going to have guest speakers. I'm going to have panels. I'm going to have discussions. I'm going to do case studies. So this experiment, which we're going to start in January 2023, uh, I'm hoping to prove that they actually prefer this to a, just an in-person class because you're truly really now. So that is another aspect of innovation where you can use asynchronous or flipped classroom modalities uh, to enrich the experience so that you're getting the best of asynchronous versus the best of synchronous or live. So that's the idea, right? So I think in summary, what I'm saying is online has some unique advantages of reach, of scale, of you know location agnostic. In-person has unique advantages of that intimacy, that interaction. Asynchronous has its own benefits of you know content that can be repeated, can be self-paced, can be on demand. Let's combine all of these and create really rich learning experiences. Are there any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the marketers and educators that are watching us now? And I think that both from a marketer and educator standpoint, this idea of the omni-channel experience where we start with the customer and don't start with the channel, right? So when we talk about online commerce or you know in-person, it's the same idea. Let's not focus on the channel. Let's focus on the customer. Even I remember, Ruthie, 20 some years ago when we first started to talk about, you know, remember dot coms and there were online businesses and in-person businesses and bricks and clicks, you know, we used to call it. I remember making a comment in 1999. I said, last time I looked, customers don't come in online and in-person versions, right? Same thing with learners. So what we need to do is to really figure, figure out what are the best experiences, whether it's a shopping experience or a learning experience that we can create by blending all the channels, by giving people the freedom of the choice. And that will make for better marketing and also better learning. So that would be my message for marketers and educators worldwide. Thank you so much, Professor Mohan. This has been wonderful. It's been a pleasure. Um, yes. I hope you enjoy virtually live event. It's been a great pleasure talking. Thank you for being with us.
Thank you, Ruti Eisenberg and Mohan Mirsani for joining us today. And thank you for tuning in. To give you a little taste of what's coming next week, here's seven questions and events with CMO at Outbrain, Paul Negton. Welcome to seven questions and events, seven questions with an industry expert, Paul Negton. So no time to waste. Let's go. What's the one thing you want your attendees to get out of your events? A feeling about your brand, uh, you know, gut feeling about, oh, I like these people. Uh, they're, they're onto something interesting. I, I could learn something here. Uh, you know, Yaron Galai, our founder, one of our founders at, at Outbrain, likes to say he knows his presentation is successful when he sees people taking a picture of the slide. You know, nice. that, that kind of <laughs> feeling, okay, you know, the, I, I have something to learn from, from, from this brand or this, this uh, group of people, this company. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite way to engage with your audience? Uh, that that's a tough one. It really depends. You know, uh, sometimes panels work. I know they're tired, but sometimes they work. Sometimes your audience is actually the, the people on the panel. I think that's sometimes a misconception um, that you know it's for the audience that's sitting on chairs watching. But often it's uh, you're elevating somebody else's voice, and maybe you're trying to sell to that person in some other forum. Uh, I don't mean to give away the secret sauce there, but uh, so I think that's a really effective format for, 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 you know, elevating thought leaders, getting them to think about you on their way home from work, so to, so to speak, uh, by elevating and putting them on a, on your stage. Um, and just, you know, I don't know that the format matters as much. It has to be with the content, like the content and the format are, are inextricable. So a cocktail party could work really, really well, depending on the circumstance. So it's a difficult one to, to, to answer definitively. I guess it kind of depends. Who would your dream keynote speaker be? No restrictions at all. Yeah, Steve Jobs, probably. I think he, he in my lifetime, uh, gave the best keynotes, but also because he did this combination of the, you know, leader thing where, you know, I'm just so excited for you to see these new things we've done. Like, you know, that's kind of the, every great CEO has that voice, but also actual insight into things. I, you know, whenever I want to level set, I always go back to watching that video of Steve Jobs talking about the one thing that you have only enough time for them to remember one thing about you. What is that one thing? I think that's, that's a really great way to, to, to lead a marketing team. I think he was a marketer at heart. Uh, so I think it would be Steve Jobs. I think Mark Benioff too. Uh, I have, you know, I don't know that I've ever watched a keynote of his, but just to be able to, to hear his philosophy on some of these things that I have found foundational to my own career, my own, uh, path and the way I look at B2B marketing, I, I, I would, I would definitely want to hear from him. Which trend in virtual events are you most looking forward to? None of them really. I don't know. Um, I don't like, we can't overthink this. So I guess like the, the inverse of the, the, you know, as small as you can make it as, as quick okay. and bite-sized and interactive as you can make it, the better and then get it over with because they're not good by and large. I understand the irony I'm speaking in a virtual event, but you know, <laughs> it's not a substitute. It's an, it's an, it's, it's a, no, it's yeah. Okay. Yes. And, um, you know, teach us something then. I mean, that's a, a virtual event has to, the bar for the content is just so much higher. What's an event marketing pitfall people should watch out for? Yeah, putting all your eggs in one basket, or to not use a cliche, spending so much time and money 
on the tentpole event that all your competitors are doing the same at. You know, um, there's a sweet spot of company startup kind of series B, series C, where it's like, no one's going to notice if you're not there. They're not going to be like, well, what, what happened to them? Like, you get to you get to to be a little more choosy about not putting your money into the one day that everyone else is spending money on. You can worry about optimizing to the other 364 days of the year. That I think is a much better strategy. It's kind of like the answer with PR. You know, instead of trying to optimize for the jumping out of a cake, why don't you try to build a slow and steady drumbeat you actually control? And so with event marketing, I would say always preferred to try to build your own audience, build your own stage, build your own voice. It's tough to do. You have to go beyond just your own product. You may have to involve others in your ecosystem. You have to find something bigger than you, find that crusade. But you're, I think you're going to get more out of that than getting a booth at the same you know, event that everyone else is. Now, at a certain size, you have to do that. So that's, that's, a, that's I think, a, a pitfall, is like thinking that you as a startup need to cut through at industry conference of the year, whereas you actually need to build your own voice outside of that. What's your go-to source for personal development info in terms of events and marketing? I don't know that there's a particular school, source, blog, group, whatever. Um, I, but I, I think looking at looking outside your own industry is a really great way to be more objective about what works and what doesn't. Within your own industry, you just got too much skin in the game. And it's easy to overvalue what your competition is doing because, you know, their target, it, it, if there's a lot of these things are zero sum games. So if they're succeeding, that means there's something wrong with you, what you're doing. And so there's too much loaded into that. But really looking at what other industries are doing. I mean, Dreamforce is a great example. What is that? It's CRM software. It's, you know, can't get any more boring than that. They find a way to make it exciting. Okay, now what's our corollary? How do we do that? I think is a, is a way that I like to, to ask. I, I mean, I'm always consistently and tremendously inspired by the people I work with. You know, the, the, the marketing team that we've built here at Outbrain of, you know, growth marketers, product marketers, comms professionals, you know, operations people, like being able to, to source ideas and collaborate with teams like that, I think definitely is a learning experience for me uh, and, drive, and drives me forward. And I, I, I learn something from them every day. One last question. Shout out another events professional. I know so, there are so many great ones. There's so many people I've worked with who know what they're doing and are just awesome at this. Um, I wouldn't want to single one of them out. Fair enough. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for having me.